know, one day, uh, years ago, before Anna and I even met, that's how long ago it's been, a family member confronted me about my behavior. I had made a comment about a movie I had seen, and this person was bothered by that. I was questioned how I, as a Christian, could even think about going to the movies. And then this person that I love and who I know loves me said to me, I don't know what you believe anymore. And before I could respond, I was asked if I believed anything at all, followed quickly by, I'm not sure that you're even a Christian. I have to tell you, I wasn't too disturbed by all of this because not many months before that exchange, I had held similar beliefs. I, I knew how that person thought, and I knew also by experience how uncomfortable it is when the things that you have been taught and which you have accepted are challenged either directly or by the actions of another. But more importantly still, I knew that that person had a genuine concern for me. And so by God's grace, my response was not at all defensive. I, I said what was true then and is still true today, that I wanted to follow Jesus Christ with all of my heart and that nothing else really matters to me. And yet I could not find in the Bible anything that equated going to the movies with sin. Well, one has to be discerning. Yes, I admitted that. But that was the extent of it. That's what I determined from God's Word. And then I said, if you can show me from the Bible that this is sin, I will never go to the movies again. And I meant it. Well, would you come talk to my pastor, I was asked. No, I replied, but you can. <laughs> and when you're ready to show me what the Word says, we can talk. Well, months went by, and our relationship seemed to be pretty much as good as it always has been. And then one day, quietly and without much fanfare, that person said to me, Larry... I guess you were right. About that thing we talked about, I asked. Yes, was the reply. I looked, and I can't find anything in the Bible about it either. And the reasons that other people are giving me aren't reasons at all. They're just opinions. And then that person said, I want to live my life based on what the Bible says, not what someone thinks it says. And I shook my head and I said, I know, me too. But it wasn't easy to get to this place, though, was it? Not from where you and I started. But isn't that where faith begins, by believing what God says and trusting Him? Well, isn't it, my friends? Isn't that where it begins? Well, of course it is. I mean, God will never steal us wrong. He, we can trust everything that he says to us. And we know, too, don't we, that he's at work in our lives. He has promised to continue his good work in us to make us more like his son. And that doesn't always come easy for us. Often it's a struggle. Sometimes it's painful. 
It always requires change, but it is always worth it in the end. Now, I, I told you that story because weak Christians can become strong Christians, and strong Christians can care for the weak who can then change and become strong themselves. And in that whole process, God is glorified which is the subject of our text today. So I want to invite you to join me once again in the book of Romans, chapter 15, this time where we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and the people up in the cave will get it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Now before we go on, I need to make sure that everyone understands the terms that we're using. Some may not have been here last week, and others may uh, simply need to be reminded but the Bible talks here in this passage we're going to look at about strong and weak Christians. And to know what that means, we need to understand that some things are sin. They always have been and they always will be. And that's true no matter what our culture or society thinks or says about them. And then, too, there are things that are always good, such as worshiping God and saying no. To sin, And they are always good, even if the world around us mocks us for it. But then there are some things which are not evil in of themselves, but which some people think are bad. And these things the, the Scripture refers to as disputable matters. And what that person thinks about them matters. <laughs> uh, it, it matters to them, and it matters to God. You see, God is concerned about the integrity of our inner being. It is no light thing that that integrity is violated to go against our conscience, even when our conscience might be wrong. If a person thinks something is sin, then to them it is sin. And if they do that thing, which they think is sin, they are indeed sinning, for Romans tells us that whatever is not of faith is sin. And, and those people that we're talking about here, the Bible refers to as weak. They are Christians, but their faith is not as robust as it should be. They're trapped by these rules which they try to keep, which they think they must keep, in order to stay on God's side but which our scripture reading today tells us those rules are going to perish and are merely of human origin and they lack any power to change our hearts. And strong Christians have, have put rules of all sorts behind them. Instead, they're intent on walking with God and learning to act in love. Now, as we saw last time, the relationship between the strong and the weak is not always easy. The strong are tempted to look down on the weak, while the weak are tempted to condemn the strong. And the Bible tells each, the strong and the weak, not to give way to those temptations. It, oh, it tells us that we are rather to accept those other people. We are to welcome them warmly to ourselves and into our lives. It also tells us not to make an issue out of the issue, to keep what we believe about those things to ourselves. Now, I, I want to be clear here because I, I'm not sure I was last week. This doesn't mean we can't ever talk about those things. It's just that we dare not 
make an issue out of there. If we do talk about these things, it has to be in complete humility and gentleness on both sides. And if that can't be done, then we'd better keep quiet and give God more space to work. But I can tell you, as surely as I stand here, God, God does not intend the weak to stay weak. He does not intend that they should have their way so that they need only express their view and everyone else must fall into line. They are not meant to control the church in that manner, but they must be cared for. They must be nurtured so that they will be able to grow strong. And for that process to happen, the strong Christians bear the greater responsibility. We have to care for the weak. There's no way around that truth, which brings us to verse 1 of chapter 15. And we read there, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And we're being reminded of what we just stated, what we already read earlier in chapter 14 last week, that the strong are to care for the weak. We're being urged here to do that. It's just that important that Paul is urging us to do it. And this is not always easy. I mean, we see that not just in the statement, that we're not to please ourselves. That's hard enough, isn't it? But in the very idea of bearing their failings, you know, the word picture here is that of carrying the cross as Jesus did. He didn't please himself on the way up to Golgotha nor on any of the roads leading up to that. He carried our sin, the strong, for the weak. And that's what we're to do. We're to imitate him. We're to care for others. And if necessary, we have to put our own desires aside. Christians don't always think that way. Someone that I love very much once said to me, if I do something which is not sin and someone else has a problem with it, that's their problem, not mine. And I responded, oh, you've adopted Cain's philosophy, have you? That you are not your brother's keeper? I'd rethink that if I were you. And if anyone here has that attitude, you'd better think again. We are our brother's keeper. We are to care for them. And yet having said that, it's not all hard work, you know. And even when it's hard, there can be joy in it and it comes from it. The book of Hebrews says about Jesus, for the joy set before him he endured the and the strong can take it. They're the strong. And they can take to heart that their labor in this matter is never in vain. See, when the strong care for the weak in that way, those things which tend to separate us, uh, that come between us, well, they're held at bay. The strong don't allow those things to come between them and those who are not strong. But something more is happening in verse 2. There's a change that's going on. 
Just as verse 2 follows verse 1, so this change follows. It, it comes when the strong genuinely care for the weak. The strong caring for the weak opens the way for every Christian, weak or strong, to seek the good of others. Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And when the strong care for the weak, then even the weak seek what is good for all. Now let me explain what's going on here. I just want to make sure you're following what's happening. Verse 1 addressed the strong, and there they were told they shouldn't please themselves. But verse 2 addresses each of us, all who believe, not just the strong. If it were talking to just the strong, if that's who Paul had in mind, the text would have said, you need to please others. Instead, there's a change in thought, a change in just who's addressed. It says each of us. That is, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And everything that follows, uh, verse 2, applies to both the strong and the weak who are the subject of our text. So if you're a Christian, you're to live for others. And that's what's pleasing our neighbor means. And, and we do that. We do that not just to make them happy and not just so that we don't offend them. Rather, we do it for their good, to build them up in the faith. And verse 3 tells us when we live this way, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ didn't live to please himself, and he, and he took whatever was thrown at him. The weak and the strong are both to follow him. No doubt that the strong have a greater responsibility, but when they take heart, when they take that to heart, and they do it when they're not arguing with or looking down on the weak or adopting the attitude of Cain while seeking to please themselves, they enable the weak they make space for them to grow. They show them the way of the strong but loving Christian. In the story of the Lord of the Rings, if you know that story, the nine walkers try to cross a mountain pass as they make their way to the cracks of doom. And if you know the story, you know that they're beaten back by a fierce storm and they can go no further. They shelter for the night, and then the day comes. But the snow on the path behind them is deep. And though they can't go forward, turning back seems just as impossible as going on. And yet, they must turn back, so what are they to do? Well, Beauremir and Aragon are there, and they're strong. And so they forge a path, pushing the snow aside with their own bodies. And then the smaller folk that are with them, well, they couldn't have done that. Without those two strong men, they would have been lost in the drifts, but they were able to follow. That, that's what the strong but loving Christian does for the weak. They make a way for them. They give them room so that they can grow. I have to tell you, the weak aren't unchanged by this. They, they become a little stronger than themselves in the process. They're being welcomed warmly into the company of the strong. They can't help but rub off on them. 
they, they begin to imitate what they see. They start caring less about the rules and less about themselves and what they want and more about others. They too start seeking to build up and not to tear down and not to divide. I have to say this though. Even when the weak don't have a good example from the strong, they're still obligated to grow in their faith. It's just a whole lot harder for them to do that when they have to do it on their own. And, and none of this should surprise us. God wants the strong to use their faith for the good of others. And God doesn't want the weak to stay weak. So he puts the strong in their lives to help them to grow in the faith. And the weak become strong themselves so they can, in turn, help others. Now, there's something else in this process, though. It's part of this process of believers becoming more of what they should be. Something that with all of my heart, I hope and I believe is happening right now. You see, there is power in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God which gives us hope. And hope, as Roman has already told us, does not make us ashamed. So when we take to heart the teaching of the Word of God, we are changed. Verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance, uh, the taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The Word of God has power. It imparts endurance so we can stay the course. It gives us encouragement so we can face life with a godly bearing. And from that comes hope. Not wishful thinking. Not a hope-so kind of hope, but a confident expectation of God's work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. The Word of God has the power to change us. So the old preachers, they used to talk of breaking the bread of life to feeding the flock, the people of God, with the word of God. They knew the power that that had. They understood that as bread and milk and honey impart strength to a, someone who's starving, so the word of God strengthens our inner person. We need the Word of God and what it does in our hearts and souls like a starving man needs food. And you know, that's not quite right. We need it more than we need food. It's vastly more important. Food for the body's temporal, but the Word of God is eternal. The Word of God, also like food, has another sense to it. And that is that it makes its own appeal. So, I hear that phone. I'm just ignoring it. You can too. <laughs> and that's okay. Those things happen, right? <laughs> so, when you're hungry, what happens, right? You, you know that smell of that good cookie, and it draws you from the television set in the living room and into the kitchen, where if you're like me, you simply get in the way, but you just want to know when that food is going to be ready. And the Word of God uh, has that same effect on the human heart. It invites us to partake. 
Oh, many people refuse. I know that. They go hungry. They think there's something else that will satisfy them. They're wrong, and by God's grace, they may discover it one day. But for those of us who accept the Word, like food, we find it both strengthens us and brings us pleasure. Now, it's not enough for us to merely hear the Word. At some point, you have to mix it with faith. You have to believe God. You have to take him at his word. You have to act on what you know. But when you do, you're changed. And you're made... That's so funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but, you got it? Yeah. But when you do, you're changed. You're made stronger when you accept God's word. Both... both um, inside you uh, and outside of you, both the strong and the weak, they grow and they become more what they should be. Now, now what I want to do is I just want to kind of take a step back, and I want to tell you how I think these two things that we've been talking about so far fit together. The strong make a way for the weak so they can grow. They fend off by their care those things that tend to separate us. They don't make an issue out of the issue. That's why God brings them together, the strong, to help the weak. And yet the strong didn't get strong by their own power. Others went before them to show them the way, and Christ went before all of those. That's how the strong helped the weak. But the Word of God gives us all a place to stand, the strong and the weak alike. And the strength and the joy that we need for our journey comes from the Word of God. It is not just about not offending. It's about learning to stand on the Word of God. And no one ever outgrows his or her need for the Word. Through endurance and courage, which comes from the Word, Hope blossoms, it blooms. Real hope. A confidence in God grows, which changes our heart and makes us stronger still. And when this happens, when the strong are caring for the weak, warmly welcoming them, not arguing or seeking their own pleasure, not having the attitude to change, they make a way for the weak. They give them room to grow so that everyone, strong and weak alike, are enabled to seek the good of others in order to build them up. And, and then when the word of God is being embraced so that we endure with good courage and our hearts are changed by hope, then the stage is set for something which brings God real glory. The opportunity for real unity has come. It may be only a prayer away. And that's what Paul does next. He prays for unity. Verses 5 and 6, we're going to begin with verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, and I stop right there for just a moment. The prayer is built on what's preceded and it extends from there. Endurance and courage come from God. He's at work in your life and in mine to bring this about. It flows into us from his word. We just noted that. But God himself is at work in us through his Holy Spirit to make us like his son. 
who endured with good courage. God's not just, you understand, not just trying to make us nice people. He has at work in us to make us, you and me both, fit for his kingdom. And he is doing what he is doing so others may see his son, Jesus Christ, in us. And our God is the only God who does anything at all. And look at how he works. Continue reading. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Now we were just told a verse or two back that Christ didn't live to please himself. He lived to please the Father. And we know how he endured and the courage he had. But you know, he came into our world for us to save us. And, and that concern for others, which that godly quality which God wants in us must grow out of our hearts. You know, it's not something that can be stapled or taped on us. Uh, it is who you and I, if we're Christians, are meant to be. And it grows, and it shapes us, and it fills us, and it makes us more like Jesus. Over time, as we endure and as we continue in good courage, we become more like Jesus Christ. And when Christians have Christ's attitude toward one another, that is unity. Prayer continues in verse 6, so that we with one mind and one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that one mind and one voice is a wonderfully descriptive way of talking about unity. And it reminds me of that close association of the heart and the mouth, right? What's in our heart comes out of the, our mouth and the things we say. This is real heart unity. It's not a facade. It rises from in, in us. And you understand, don't you? It's not uniformity. Not everyone is identical. There are still strong Christians and there are still weak Christians in our midst, but there is unity. Because we're united, because we're united in our commitment to Christ and our commitment to one another. So that the differences we have fade into insignificance. In our hearts, we think, he is my brother, she is my sister. We're a family. We stand together. And that brings glory to God. Not just that we are praising but that we're praising him together in unity. So, so what have we learned from this text? Well, we've come to see that when strong Christians are caring for the weak, warmly welcoming, not arguing with them, not seeking to please only themselves, certainly not having the attitude of Cain, they make a way for the weak. They give them room to grow, help them on their journey. Everything that separates us is held at bay. So that everyone, strong and weak alike, are enabled to seek the good of others in order to build them up. And when the word of God is embraced, so that we do endure with good courage, and our hearts are changed by hope, then the stage is set. It's set for something which brings God real glory. It's set for real still takes prayer. But God is at work, making us like his son, 
giving us endurance and good courage so that we, like his son, put others first. Our differences no longer matter. We're family. We're one. We all belong to one another. And we belong to Jesus Christ and God the Father. And we are filled with his spirit. And that, and all of that, glorifies God. His light shines through us in our dark world. A world shaken to its very core when Christians are united in heart. Now this morning, I began by telling you a conversation that I had with someone who questioned my behavior. A year or so before that, I had a different conversation with a different person about one of these things which chapter 4 calls the disputable matters which we've been talking about. I was wrestling, wrestling with this one particular issue and I asked my pastor at the time about it. I told him I was having trouble seeing how the Bible condemned that particular activity and seemed to me like there was no sin involved with it. I just didn't understand. And his response to me was, trust me, it's there. I know it, and you just have to believe me. Well, I was young in the faith, and I did take him at his word, but it's not a bad thing. Though what he really should have done was he should have opened God's word to me. But then he said something that shocked me, and even with as little as I knew at the time, it, it stunned me. He told me, that even if the Bible said it was okay, that that particular thing, that it really wasn't sin, that he would still never tell his people. Because he said it, he didn't trust them. I didn't say it at the time. I was so young in the faith, but I thought it. Doesn't Jesus say that the truth will set you free? How could anyone ever dare to withhold God's truth from God's people? That's not genuine concern. That's a lack of trust in God at the best or at worst. It's deceit in the name of good. My friends, let me tell you something. By God's grace, I will always tell you the truth as I stand up here and in any other setting. The truth, God's word, sets us free. Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And if you are under that burden, Romans tells you that you can be free, that you can grow in your faith and become strong. And when you do, you honor. Would you pray with me, please? (coughs) 
Father, um, we believe that you are at work in us. Every one of us here who has named your name, and we have walked with you any time at all. We have seen how you have changed our hearts and the things that you've done in us, and sometimes even through us. We also believe, Lord, that you're at work in other believers to make them into the image of Christ. And that you want to unite our hearts, Lord, so that we do speak with one mind and one voice. Because we believe you want to work in the world around us through us. We know you already are at work there. But you want to use us. Lord, work in our hearts. Continue what you do. Make us more and more into the image of your Son. Give us a heart, Lord, for the people around us. Other believers and other churches that maybe don't know the freedom that people here in this church who may be struggling in one of those areas. A lost world who has no hope. Doesn't even know what the truth is. Who needs to hear from us? Change us. Don't let go of us. Shake us, shake us up if you have to. But help us. Help us. In Jesus' name.